That chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swing and a drive hit to left field deep. Dickerson going back over his head. And this one is gone. Goodbye. A line drive home run for Ronald Acuna Jr. So, Josiah Gray, who gave up the Major League High 38 home runs last year, surrenders a leadoff home run on the third pitch of his first start of the year. Gray rocks and kicks, 2-0 delivery, hit high in the air to right center field. Thomas drifting back onto the warning track at the wall, looking up, and this ball is gone. Goodbye. Back-to-back home runs, the first of the year for Acuna, the first for Olsen, and the Braves lead 2-0. Made a few mistakes. Got ahead of the first five out of eight hitters. He was ahead. He just couldn't finish. The cutter wasn't what it was in spring training. But you know what? I tell him, hey, it's your first outing. He, he battled back, you know. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, April 2nd, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We have said that there are five Nats players currently active on the team's Major League roster on whom we should particularly focus this season, right? Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, K. Bert Ruiz, and Luis Garcia. You could argue that out of those five guys, it is Gray's season that's most significant given that this already is his third major league season. Well, that third major league season did not get off to a good start. Uh, the Nats fell to 0-2 with a 7-1 loss to the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park on Saturday in Game 2 of a three-game series on what was first a rainy day, then a sunny day, then a windy day. But uh, most important for our purposes, Saturday, a bad day for Josiah Gray. Five runs in five innings, and he gave up three home runs off having given up no homers during the exhibition season. The home run problem was right back to being in full effect. And Mark, from the department of you can't make this stuff up, Gray in the top of the first allowed two runs on two solo homers to the first two batters he faced in this regular season. I mean, on the one hand, it was like, I can't believe it. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, that is kind of what it has been for Josiah Gray. Rough outing for him. If I had asked you entering the season, I'll drop a worst case scenario for how this would start. That's pretty close to it, right? (laughs) Because it's not just that 
Gray didn't pitch well. It's not even just that he gave up some homers, though he, he did, but to the first two batters of the season that he's faced, you could not draw that up any worse. And two pitches in, look good. Back-to-back sliders to Acuna thought he's 0-2. Okay, good. He's not just trying to go after him with a fastball. And then he threw another slider and left over the plate. And next thing you know, it's one nothing. And then he falls behind Olsen 2-0 and and grooves a cutter to him. And that's 2 nothing. And you're just thinking to yourself, how did this just happen? This really what we just saw. Not to say that you go and look at spring training and say, okay, that's a clear indicator of what's to come when the regular season starts. But you want to believe that it means a little bit. And the fact that he did not give up a home run all spring might mean a little bit. And then two batters in, no, it meant absolutely nothing. We're right back where we started. That was incredibly discouraging way for the season to start for him and for this team. And boy, that just sucked the life out of the building. It absolutely did. And, you know, you think about the game one loss and one of the big things from that game, the C.J. Abrams three errors. And, you know, look, I may come to regret this, but I don't think defense is going to be his problem. Although we did have another defensive miscue in this game. We can get to that in a bit. But you say, all right, that's kind of an isolated thing. I mean, it's not going to be committing three errors on the regular. With Gray, I don't think you're overreacting to be concerned by him giving up the three homers on Saturday because this isn't a new issue. This has been by far his number one issue. This was the thing that was talked about all offseason. He's got to get the home runs down. He's got to fix the mechanics. And then the first two batters that he faces this season, he gives up two home runs and then he gives up another home run. And yeah, I mean, it is discouraging. It's got to be discouraging for him. I do think this is a big season for Josiah Gray. I mean, I'm not going to say make or break, but I think he needs to have a step forward season. Like if he has a third straight year in which he gives up a ton of homers, has an ERA over five or really bad ERA, you know, you are starting to creep into that bus territory of like, hey, uh, you're supposed to be, if not an ace, then, you know, a really good starting pitcher, you know, a number two at worst, a number three. And instead, it's like, we're not even seeing progress. And I think that's the thing. You want to see progress. So, you know, I'd love to say, hey, these things happen onward and upward, but I don't know, man, like all off season, this was the thing and that it ends up being a thing in his first start in his first inning of the season. Yeah. Like I said, worst case scenario, if you were to draw it up. Now, I'll throw a couple things out there a little bit in his defense. He's facing maybe the best power hitting team in the National League in the Braves. Not an excuse, but like if you're going to give up three homers, this is the team you're probably going to do that to. He did it on a day when the wind was blowing 20 plus miles an hour out. And I'm not thinking that necessarily either one of those wouldn't have been a home run otherwise, but it helped carry those balls at least a little bit. So a little caveat there, but the problem is his next start is at Coors Field. (laughs) So like if you're trying to put him in the best possible position to have success, having him face the Braves on a day the wind's blowing out and then going to Coors Field is not the ideal way to draw that up. So that's unfortunate. But I think actually the most discouraging part of it, you know, the results aside, were more like the way he went about it. We talked at the end of spring training about how he was finding ways to be successful without having to use his fastball, which was such a problem for him last year. And specifically the development of this cutter that he threw really well in spring training. And then he comes out and the second home run today came on a cutter after he was behind in the count 2-0. And then the third one also was on a cutter. He ditched it entirely for a few innings. He came back to it later, started to have a little bit of success. 
But that was troubling to me that like the results are similar to what we saw last year, but the process to get to it was actually a little bit different. And on a pitch that's supposed to help him and avoid that kind of loud contact. Now, I'm not saying he's going to abandon it altogether in his next start, but you would have liked to see success with that and not feel like this great new pitch he's got that was being put out there specifically to avoid this kind of damage instead led to exactly the same kind of damage. For Josiah Gray on Saturday, five runs in five innings. Uh, He gave up seven hits, the three home runs to go with four singles. He issued two walks and a run-scoring wild pitch, four strikeouts. He over the five innings threw 87 pitches, 52 strikes versus 35 balls. With the two homers that he gave up in the top of the first inning, so he gives up the leadoff homer to Ronald Acuna Jr. As Mark mentioned, Acuna was down 0-2. I mean, that's the other thing about that home run. 0-2 pitch and Acuna homers off Gray. And then Gray gave up a solo homer to Matt Olson on a bomb to right center, 406 feet per stat cast. And then the other homer that Gray gave up, 429 feet per stat cast. Top of the fourth, a one-out solo home run by Marcelo Zuna. So, you know, I know you talked about the win, but two of the three homers were over 400 feet. And that homer by Ozuna, I mean, that was well over 400 feet. And then we had what happened in the top of the third inning. Gray giving up two runs on three singles, a walk, and a run-scoring wild pitch, which came on a ball four to Ozzie Albies on a two-out walk. You know, one of the things with Gray that gets overlooked, it's not just the home runs. Josiah Gray, for last regular season, gave up the most walks in the National League, 66 walks. The walks were a problem for Gray last year. Now, he only gave up two on Saturday. But, you know, sometimes it's not quantity, it's quality. And he issues this walk on this run-scoring wild pitch to Albies, and I don't know, it just kind of stood out from a standpoint of here's a guy who had a problem with walks last year, and then in a really bad spot, he, he issues a walk, and the walk comes with a ball four that's a wild pitch that scores a run. There goes Riley, here comes the pitch. It's in the dirt, ball gets away, Arcia breaks for the plate, and he's going to score. But the run scores on a ball four wild pitch, and it's 3 nothing Atlanta. Yeah, it's not the what, it's the when in that case. And he's one pitch away from getting out of that inning. He had two runners on base, runners on the corners, but he's got two outs. He's already struck out Olsen, and now you got a 3-2 count on Albies. You have a chance to get out of that inning. That's an important moment for a young pitcher to show, hey, maybe things haven't gone so great, but if I can fight my way through this, pitch my way out of a jam, this game is still within reach, and then it fell apart for him there. The ball for wild pitch, and then an RBI single to Michael Harris after that. So he, in addition to everything else, had trouble putting away hitters, And that's where, look, we know he's going to try to do that with two strikes with breaking balls, sliders and curveballs. So number one, you got to be careful not to be that predictable and everybody knows what you're going to try to throw. But number two, you got to execute those pitches and you can't throw a pitch 3-2 that's in the dirt that the batter never has reason to swing at. And oh, by the way, it also gets away from the catcher to allow a runner to score. So better quality of pitches when you do have a chance to put a guy away. And unfortunately, some trust that maybe you can get weak contact and get an out that way. You don't have to go for the strikeout. That felt like three and two, I'm going for the strikeout. Well, no, get the out however necessary. That means putting the ball relatively close to the strike zone, not bouncing one in the dirt. So we talked about the cutter with the mechanics Were the mechanics better in this game? I mean, the results weren't good, but were the mechanics better or were the mechanics still a problem? 
I think so. I wasn't really looking that closely at like his line to the plate, but I think so. And he was throwing fastballs and I'm just looking it up right now to see what he gave up on the fastballs. I don't feel like there was a ton of damage on that. No, I mean, he had only two swings on the fastball and only one ball put into play and it was hit 66 miles an hour. So no, he wasn't giving up damage on that. Now he did not throw the fastball for strikes was the problem. Four out of 14 for strikes. So his command was off and that's not going to work. Obviously, you have to make hitters believe that you can throw a fastball for strike. So I don't want to say it's back to the drawing board immediately for him, but you've got to figure out what it is you're trying to do. What is the game plan? And now go out and execute that game plan. And for day one, it was not that. I'm looking at the strike zone plot overall for him. And there's a lot of pitches, if you're, if you're thinking of it as a right-handed hitter facing, a lot of pitches up and in, fastballs up and in, and a lot of breaking balls down and away, not nearly close enough to the strike zone. Seems like with Josiah Gray, there's almost like an identity problem. Like, who are you? What are you as a pitcher? You know, you're not a fastball guy. We learned that last year. We thought maybe, hey, you're a cutter guy, but then we had what happened in this game on Saturday. And it's one game, right? But, you know, it's it's like, okay, we know what the problems are in terms of the results. But I think a lot of times in sports, right, like you want to know who you are, what you are, how you do what you do. And of course, it helps when you have success doing things a certain way, because then you can say, well, okay, I can sort of lean on that. He doesn't have that. And he feels like a guy when he's pitching, especially when you throw the mechanical issues into the mix, like he's still very much trying to find himself, not only in terms of the results, but in terms of like how he goes about doing what he does. Yeah, look, he's a breaking ball pitcher. That's his forte. And when he's had the high strikeout games, it's been because the slider and the curveball have been excellent. But you can't just do that. You have to have something else to keep him honest. You need to have a fastball or cutter or something over 90 miles an hour that is located within the strike zone and isn't hit really hard to set up the breaking balls. And he didn't have that in this one. And we did see last year, there were times that he would abandon the fastball altogether and go almost exclusively breaking balls. That's a tough way to go about life. So a tough lineup that he's facing, tough conditions in this game, but he's going to have to be better than that. And like I said, the next starts at Coors Field, that's not a place you want to go and try to win exclusively with breaking balls because breaking balls don't break as much in the mile high air. So whether it's the fastball, whether it's the cutter, he's going to have to perfect that in that outing. That's a really tough assignment for him. And it's going to be telling how those pitches, whether they're effective or not, when he gets to Coors Field next week. Josiah Gray now in his major league regular season career, 224 and a third innings, 60 home runs allowed. That is a staggering total that obviously needs to come down. Hey, are you a law firm partner or associate stuck in the minor leagues like Joey Fourbags Manessis? Your employer might be holding you back from your true potential. Maybe another law firm can get you what you need. More money, better support, better client contacts, or a better brand name. You need a better agent. You need Mason Kalfas. Mason Kalfas, he started Zenith Legal in 2015 to be the best legal recruiter in the nation, and he has succeeded. He has placed partners and associates at over half 
of the largest 100 law firms in the U.S. He specializes in working with lawyers at major law firms and government agencies such as the DOJ and SEC. Like Joey Manessis' big breakout, Mason Kalfas can help you identify what you really need to accelerate your legal career. He will work with you to find the best law firm for your practice and negotiate you the absolute best deal, a deal worthy of a superstar free agent. The legal market still is very strong. There's no better time than the present to think about making a move. You need to call Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal. His number is 202 486 3535. Or you can check out his website, zenithlegal.com. He has a team of recruiters across the country, but you will get tons of personal attention from Mason. It's time to launch your career into the upper deck. Call Mason Kalfas today. Go Nats and go Joey. Hey Nats Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer and founder of the podcast. Here to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to your favorites shouldn't be so stressful. That's why you should look into the Game Time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake concert this summer, Game Time offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, and more. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Next offering popped up. Left side, shallow left toward the line. Rosario coming in, has a play. He makes the catch. 
And this ball game is over. The Braves have clinched themselves a series victory, taking the first two of the three-game set. Well, when it comes to the Braves starting pitcher on Saturday, it was Spencer Strider, uh, Spencer and his porn stash, and uh, those two things did quite well in this game on Saturday. Strider, six scoreless innings, nine strikeouts. That's uh, mustering just the one run, five hits for the game, another game in which the Nats don't do much in the way of extra base hits, although they did get a home run, albeit a pretty meaningless one, but it was an impressive home run. Keeper Ruiz reaching the third deck in right field in a one-run bottom of the ninth inning for the Nats, but a homer, a double, and three singles. That's what you had for the Nats in terms of hits. So the Nats did work three walks, but just another like ho-hum game for the Nationals offensively. Really rough game for Joey Manessis. He was again the Nats DH and number two batter, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Jamer Candelario, uh, another nothing happening game for him, 0 for 4 with two strikeouts as the Nats number six batter and starting third baseman. We did see some things a little different with the lineup. Davey Martinez had Luis Garcia in the number one spot uh, with the idea being uh, the matchup with Strider. We saw Lane Thomas down to the number seven spot. We saw C.J. Abrams and Victor Robles alternate the uh, eight and nine spot. Robles was a nine batter in this game off having been the number eight batter in game one. But, you know, look, the concern of the offense remains a concern. And I don't think we've seen anything over these first two games uh, to diminish that concern. No, not at all. Now, they're facing an elite fastball in this game. Spencer Strider, 98, 99, 100 miles an hour. And the thing is, he throws it over the plate and he says, go ahead and hit it. Do your best. And they did not do their best against him. Garcia was hitting lead off because Davey feels like he's one of their best fastball hitters, 95 plus. Well, his afternoon went strikeout, double play, fly out to the warning track, although it was hit to the opposite field, and then another double play. That did not work at all. And the only guy who really had success against him was Lane Thomas, who got bumped all the way down to the seventh spot. He doubled in the third on a play that could have been made by the center fielder and potentially could have been called an error instead, and then a single in the fifth inning. Tough pitcher, yes, but you've got to find ways to make him work a little bit more. Five of the first six batters in the game struck out. You got to find a way to make him work a little bit more. And then once you get on base, this happened the other day, you got to do something with that. Until Ruiz's homer in the ninth, they didn't advance anybody past second base in spite of the fact that twice Lane Thomas was on second base, I believe with nobody out, a leadoff double in the third, and then the single in the fifth, and he goes to second on a wild pitch, and they just left him there, couldn't go anywhere. You have to get more productive at bats with runners in scoring position. 0 for 4 in this game after 1 for 11 on opening day. As we said the other day, this is the concern. If you have a lineup that doesn't hit for power, then you better be able to manufacture and you better be able to come through in situations with runners in scoring position, and they have not come close to doing that in these first two games. No, I mean, you've had like nothing in the way of a big inning or an inning in which you feel like, hey, the line is moving, things are going well. I mean, it really has been like you piecemeal things and you close your eyes and you're playing a lot of station to station baseball, again, with the exception of the K-Bet Ruiz home run. Spencer Strider is an interesting guy. In 2021, he pitched at five different levels of professional baseball. He pitched for low A, high A, double A, triple A, and pitched in the majors as well. I'd love to know in the history of baseball, how many guys have done that pitched at five different levels of the sport in one season as Strider did. So he's a good pitcher, no doubt. He's one of about a million Braves who have been signed to long-term contract extensions early in their careers here. 
in recent seasons. So I mentioned Cabert Ruiz. He has looked good over these first two games offensively. I think he in this game on Saturday was the Nats cleanup batter. In addition, of course, to being the starting catcher, two for four with a solo homer and a single. Victor Robles got on base two more times. Victor Robles has gotten on base five times over the first two games with three walks. The guy had another walk in this game. Bottom of the third, a one-out walk. Bottom of the eighth, he had a leadoff single. But, you know, in terms of some of these young guys, you know, we've talked about, like Luis Garcia, we mentioned him 0 for 4. C.J. Abrams with another 0 for 3. And that aforementioned defensive miscue. So Abrams in the Braves' two-run third was on the border of the infield dirt and shallow left field grass, unable to make a backhanded catch of what was a well-hit grounder by Orlando Arcia. The play went down as a leadoff infield single. What'd you think about that play? Because, you know, to me, that's one of those plays where it's like, boy, you'd like for your defensively minded shortstop to make that play. And Abrams obviously did not. Yeah, exactly. It's not an error. And I agree with the call by the official score. It's not an error, but it's a play that could be made. And it's a play that wasn't made. And while you don't expect the guy to do that all the time, you want to have some of them. Now, he had a nice play later in the game. He came charging in on a ball, made a nice throw to first base, but it's only two games. So, you know, we don't want to read too much into it. But you hope that the struggles on opening day didn't cause some kind of mental block for CJ. And all of a sudden, he's thinking too much about it. And every ball that's hit his direction becomes more of an adventure than it should be. Let's see, give him a few more days to see how that all goes. But, you know, what he needs right now <laughs> is. He needs to make one of those plays, a sharp grounder to his backhand side, even if you have to go down and get up, hop up and make a strong throw to first, just like one of those really tough reaction plays, strong throw, bang, bang, out at first. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I can do this. Pressure's off. Let me just go do what I've always done. I think he needs one of those plays here soon. In case there's anything lingering in his mind, you do that. Now you're not thinking about it anymore. Yeah, and we saw him do that last year. I mean, the range that he put on display last season was impressive. You know, I mean, that was the thing with him coming into the season. You felt really good about him defensively, but, you know, maybe it is one of those Ian Desmond things that we talked about last show. Like he's off to an Ian Desmond like start defensively, but ultimately it's hard to think that he's not going to settle into being a quality defensive shortstop. Just the tools are there, and we have seen him do it. Like I said, we saw it last year. Well, a guy who did very much make an impressive defensive play for a second consecutive game, in fact, was Lane Thomas. Uh, so he was an ad starting right fielder and number seven batter, two for three with a double and a single. And Thomas in the top of the seventh, a leaping backhanded catch of a deep fly ball by Ronald Acuna Jr. while falling into the right field wall for the first out. And this stood out to me because we have seen Lane Thomas, when he plays center field, have a difficult time with the wall and tracking balls toward the wall. And it's one of the reasons why Lane defensively is better as a corner outfielder than as a center fielder. Now, he can play center field. It's not like he's awful at it, but I think he's best suited defensively, at least right now, as a corner outfielder. But seeing him make that play, I mean, impressive catch of a well-hit ball, but navigating coming close to the outfield wall. I feel like that's important for Lane. That's something that is not easy to do, something that he's had to work on, and he did a good job of it in that spot. The set a long hold, the 2-2 pitch. Swinging a drive to right field, sending Thomas back, drifting to the warning track at the wall. He leaps, and he caught it! He's going to throw it toward first at the throw offline as Arcia goes scampering back. What a leaping catch up against the angled fence. Yeah, and this was another tricky one because, yet again, he told us afterwards the sun became a factor. The sun monster here in uh, 
late March, early April is wreaking havoc in a way that I don't ever remember seeing it here outside of September. He's noticed it. Victor Robles has noticed it. They've all noticed it. So he was battling the sun. He actually thought he was a little closer to the wall than he was. And that's why there was that little bit of awkward, like, it's almost like he was preparing to cushion himself with the wall and then the wall wasn't there and he had to sort of stumble to catch himself. But a really nice play. The outfield defense has been very good two games in, particularly Thomas and Robles, the infield defense a little less so. But I do like him as a right fielder. What we saw from him last year suggests that that is a strong position for him. He has a good arm to work there. I want to talk about Robles also because it's only two games. I don't know how long we're going to keep saying this. Well, it's still early. Let's not read too much into it. But between the spring that he had and the first two games, defensively and offensively, he looks really good so far. Taking his walks, not swinging at sliders out of the zone. You know what I'd like to see, though? We talked about how they're going to have to manufacture runs. Across baseball, we heard about how many stolen base attempts there were on opening day. We haven't seen this from the Nats. Robles gets on base a couple of times, including leading off in the eighth. I guess they're trailing by a lot at that point, so you don't want to run. But let's see the green light. Let's see them try to push the envelope a little bit with him and maybe some others and try to steal a base or two. Yeah, I wonder with him, because he's been thrown out a few times on the base paths. I wonder if there's any reluctance just because he's like, hey, I'm off to a nice start. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is get thrown out. Well, on the base pass, but no doubt, I mean, he's more than capable of having, you know, a 20, 30 stolen base type season. And if he's going to be getting on base like this five times over two games, heck yeah, let's see the running game flourish uh, with Victor Robles leading the way. With the Nats bullpen in this game on Saturday, we had three Nats relievers making their Nationals regular season debuts. Uh, Anthony Bonda, Thaddeus Ward, Hobie Harris, they combined to give up two runs in four innings. Bonda a scoreless top of the six. Ward, two runs in two innings. He, in the top of the seventh, gave up a one-out, two-run opposite field home run by Matt Olson to left center for a 7-0 Braves lead. 420 feet per stat cast. The Braves out-homered the Nats in this game 4-1 off last regular season, out-homering the Nats in head-to-head matchups 42-15. So an unfortunate, familiar theme in this game. And then Hobie Harris, a scoreless top of the ninth. So at the risk of reading too much into two games, is it fair to say that what we saw in game one was the Nats' A bullpen, Erasmo Ramirez, Mason Thompson, Hunter Harvey, Kyle Finnegan, and what we saw in this game, the B bullpen with, you know, the blowout score and Bond Award and Harris? Or do you think all the roles are kind of, you know, to be determined as we're still, of course, very early in the season? No, I think you're kind of close to it. We haven't seen Carl Edwards Jr. yet. He's probably part of the A bullpen, you would think. Yeah, if Davey was looking for a nice opportunity to use his guys making their major league debuts, this was hit trailing by five and then by seven runs late in the game. So it made sense for Ward and Harris to do that. Bonda is because they were facing lefties in the lineup. I thought Bonda looked good. You know, very small sample of one inning, so you don't want to read a whole lot into it. Ward, the home run was ugly. But he bounced back from that, had a couple strikeouts, came back and pitched a second inning, a one, two, three inning. So, you know, for a kid in that situation, a rule five pick who's never pitched above double A, I think you get the jitters out now and let's see what he can do. And Hobie Harris, who it's his major league debut, but he's 29, so he's a little older, maybe not quite the same nerves for him. Got a good double play ball out of Acuna. So, you know, a good start for them. But yeah, I think what we saw on opening day, those are the names that Davey wants to be calling on in his bullpen. And you just hope that come Sunday afternoon, they're in a close game and he can call on his best relievers to try to keep a game closer and maybe even protect a lead late. 
We also saw the Nationals regular season debut of Corey Dickerson. We know that there's going to be a platoon in left field, Alex Call and Corey Dickerson. He was an ads number five batter, over two with a walk, couple of strikeouts, left the game due to left calf tightness. I don't know. Does it appear serious? Did it sound serious or hard to say? You know, we didn't see anything. It's not like there was uh, an obvious issue. And in a blowout game, you're thinking, well, maybe they just took him out for that reason. But when Davey was asked about it afterwards, he did report left calf tightness in about the sixth or seventh inning. And so Vargas replaced him. So he's going to go get a scan of the calf on Sunday morning. Always a little bit of a concern, something like that. And the problem here with a quick turnaround to a day game on Sunday you only have a four-man bench to begin with. They don't have another true outfielder on their bench. Would they feel the need to bring somebody in uh, and have them available just in case Dickerson does have to go on the IL? And my guess is that would be Stone Garrett, who's on the 40-man roster and in Rochester. Uh, he Stone may be getting a call late Saturday night saying, hey, board the first flight Sunday morning. Doesn't mean he'd be activated, but like a just-in-case scenario for a 135 game, they may want to do that. And speaking of guys in the minors, uh, some Nats news during the day on Saturday. They have signed veteran catcher Kevin Ploiecki to a minor league contract. Ploiecki probably best known for his time with the Mets, but he's also been with Cleveland, Boston, and Texas. So we know the Nats' top two catchers at the major league level, K. Bert Ruiz and Riley Adams. I would think that this is a sign that the Nats are not anticipating Israel Pineda being healthy anytime soon. Pineda on Thursday morning was put on the 10-day injured list with a right finger fracture. Is that how you read things? Absolutely that. It's been, boy, three, maybe even four weeks since he um, got hit by a foul ball on that hand. Now he was playing catch, but he still has not begun hitting yet. It's a problem for that. So yeah, he's not going to be ready for a while. The two guys they had to start the year at Rochester are not prospects really in the catching term. So I think the Ploiecki signing is evidence that, yeah, they need some help there right now. But also, if anything happened to Ruiz or to Riley Adams, or if Riley Adams really struggles and they feel the need to make a move like they did last year and send him down, you have somebody available at AAA with big league experience that you could call on. I don't think it's a sign that Ploiecki's about to come to DC anytime soon. And we know that they're committed to Caber Ruiz as their starter. But if anything happened, they want to have somebody they can call upon with some experience, and that would be Ploiecki. I wanted to hit on this because obviously, you know, with the Nats rebuilding at the major league level, what's going on at the minor league levels takes on increased importance. And the Nats do have some stud prospects now. And it was kind of funny, Eric Green, the former NFL tight end, the father of Nats outfield prospect Elijah Green. Eric Green tweeted on Saturday morning that Elijah Green is bound for Fredericksburg, Virginia. So he'll be playing for the low-A Fred Nats. Just in terms of the placements of these Nats premier prospects at various minor league levels. So Brady House and Harleen Susana are starting off at low-A Fredericksburg. James Wood is starting off at high-A Wilmington. Robert Hassel III is starting off at double-A Harrisburg. We know most, if not all, of these guys are, you know, a year or two away at least. Did any of the placements surprise you or were the placements pretty much what you expected? I think it's what I expected. I'm sure there are people that maybe hoped Brady House would get bumped up to high A because he did the little bit that he played last year was at low A. But I think that's the reason. He needs to actually show that he can stay healthy and have some success. If he does, if he's healthy and has a good first half of the season, I would think they'd bump him up to high A with no hesitation about that. For Elijah Green, you know, he's young. I mean, he came out of high school last year and he's already at low A ball. That's good that he's ready for that. They didn't have to put him there. They could have kept him in Florida and rookie ball. So that's a good sign. Susana, very young as well. 
Hassel was dealing with a wrist issue. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, it's the opposite. It's, it's not the wrist that he hurt in the Arizona Fall League. His other hand, he had an issue with in spring. But he, according to Mike Rizzo, was probably two weeks away from playing. He's starting the year injured, but he's already in rehab mode and should be back. He's the guy to watch in terms of somebody who we could see before this season is over. If he does well at double A, which he got some experience at last year, he would be a midseason candidate to be moved up to triple A. And then if that goes well, obviously we could be talking about him before season's end, you know, in the big league. So it was a bit of a down year for him last year, certainly from a power standpoint, but they still have really high hopes for him. He's the guy who everybody says has a very high floor. Like he should be a good quality big league hitter and a good defensive outfielder, maybe even a center fielder in the big leagues. Just a question of will he hit for power and be a complete hitter? If things develop and he stays healthy this year, I think there's a good chance we could see him before it's all said and done. But watch how he does at Harrisburg once he starts playing. If he has success there, I could see them moving him up to AAA. And with Brady House, I mean, it's not just the back injury that he's coming off of, you know, he had mixed results for the Fred Nats last season. He did not hit for much power. He got on base at a good clip, but like you can't just promote guys to promote guys. Like you have to let guys have success and then promote guys. So yeah, I mean, you know, go ahead, let these guys develop and, uh, you know, hopefully they make their way through the minors in a quick fashion. Like I said, with Spencer Strider, five different levels of pro baseball in one season, like those who can do if these guys are going to be what we want them to be, they will ascend quickly through the minors. I don't have any doubt about that. Well, Patrick Corbin in game one, not good. Josiah Gray in game two, not good. Mackenzie Gore is getting the start for the Nationals in game three of this series against the Braves. So, the Nats uh, already trying to avoid a uh, season opening sweep here. But man, I mean, this is going to be a big deal. Mackenzie Gore, regular season Nationals debut. You know, he certainly seems to have the highest ceiling in terms of Gore and Gray and Cade Cavalli, who, you know, obviously is out for the season due to Tommy John. What are we thinking here with Gore? I mean, the Nats could use Mackenzie Gore pitching well on Sunday afternoon, that's for sure. Yeah, it's unfortunate to have to put that kind of weight on the start for him because you'd like for him to come in and say, hey, just get through this thing healthy, pitch well, have a little bit of success, everything would be good. But they could really use a, a standout start from him that gets everybody excited again and gives his team a chance to win. You know, the best thing could happen in this game, Al, how about the lineup? Score a run or two early on, give him a lead to work with, and maybe if he can get through the first or second inning clean, you're not putting your team in a hole as well. It's a tough lineup that he's facing, but he's got really good stuff. He's not afraid to go after some you know, big-name hitters. He did it facing the Yankees in spring training and in the exhibition game here as well. So I don't think he's going to be intimidated to face them. If he can get ahead of hitters like he did late in spring, he's got the stuff to be successful. And there's an opportunity here for him to kind of make a little statement in his Nationals debut. It's been long awaited. It's funny, as much as we've talked about C.J. Abrams, as much as we talk about the kids, Wood and Hassel and Susana, Mackenzie Gore was as big a part of this trade as anybody in the Juan Soto trade, and he's just the guy we haven't been able to see any evidence of yet because he was rehabbing from injury last year. So it's a big start. It's a big deal for him to make this start. You wish it wasn't coming in the final game of a series in which they have to try to avoid a sweep, but let's see how he handles that pressure against a very good lineup and go from there. But I am excited to finally see Mackenzie Gore in a Nationals uniform in a game that counts. Be nice, too, to give the Nats fans in attendance some things to cheer about. You know, Nats actually had a pretty good crowd on opening day, almost 36,000. The crowd on Saturday, 27,000 plus. Now, it sounded like there were a decent number of Braves fans at the game, but still, like, 
those are pretty healthy crowds given the rebuilding state of the Nats. So you'd like to reward some of these people who are spending their hard-earned money at these games with a win, but you know, also encouraging performances here. These first two games have not gone well. You've seen some bad things from some key young players. So here's to Mackenzie Gore doing well on Sunday afternoon. We shall see. Well, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, email Tim Shovers at Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram too at Nats Chat Podcast. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t shirt by going to Nats Chat Podcast. Dot square, dot site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chatter, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A salute to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com, and Newmark is spelled N-E-U-M-A-R-K. Nats Chat is once again on the radio, Sunday mornings, 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the Richmond, Virginia area. And you can also listen online anywhere in the world at ESPNRichmond.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Former Mets first-round draft pick Kevin Plawecki makes his Major League debut today and steps into some rather large shoes. Hit hard. Simmons can't get to it. And Kevin Plawecki has his first big league hit. 